Well, the scriptures this morning are Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, and then Ephesians 5.18. I want to give us a little bit of a running start on the first one. Between the time of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, he was doing stuff. And if I start at the last part of verse 3, it tells you about that. It says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching his disciples during that time. And then it goes on, if you could stand for the reading of God's word. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And now we move over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, the word of the Lord. Note, before we start today, um, I, I told this to my Sunday school class because I said they're special and they get to hear this first, but... Um, I've tried in, uh, I just want you to know, I've tried today to include as many of the scriptures that I'll be referring to, as many as possible, in your notes. But I also want you to know that I prepare my notes, my outline, early in the week, but when I flesh out the sermon later in the week, sometimes there'll be scriptures added that were not on my brain when I made the outline. So, most of them are there. You're going to hear about some that weren't there. Just want you to know that. Okay. Uh, we've been we've been in the last. I think this is week four of a series on the Holy Spirit, fire encounter lessons on the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk. This is um, to me. This is kind of the pinnacle sermon, maybe the most important one in the series. You know, as a preacher, it's like, boy, God, if I'm going to get one right, let me get this one right. Be filled. In John 14, chapter 14 through chapter 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, and this is previous to his death and resurrection, that it is good that he is going away. He's preparing them for the time when he will return to heaven. And I'm thinking that that was probably a difficult thing for the disciples to hear. But Jesus explained in John 16, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And then Jesus would say in in the Acts passage that Dean read for us today, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John Baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
In essence, Jesus was saying, John baptized you in water for repentance and cleansing of sin. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to cleanse you at a more fundamental level. At a level of the nature which drives you to sin. And so we need to understand this morning that being filled with the Spirit is not an option. It is being filled with the Spirit is a divine imperative. It's a holy directive. There's, a, there's the, this idea among some Christians that being filled with the Holy Spirit is kind of this elective thing. It's like when you're in college. You have all these core courses you have to take, as well as those classes that apply maybe to your major. But after, you, after that, you have electives that you can choose from that are optional. I choose to take this course, but not that one. And so the assertion of some Christians is, I've got all the basics in place. I've had my sins forgiven. I love Jesus. I strive to live for Him. I go to church. I'm involved in ministry. But this Holy Spirit thing, I think I'll pass. As though it were a take or leave proposition. And I think there are some reasons for that kind of thinking. Maybe people think, I'm saved and that's all I need. A kind of, I've got my ticket to heaven punched and that's good enough for me attitude. Or I'm afraid of what the Holy Spirit might want me to do. You know, Lord, please don't send me to Africa, that kind of a thing. Or, I'm not ready for that level of commitment. And look at what our other text verse said today. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the New Living Translation, it says, Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Interesting, isn't it, that Paul contrasts Two influences that can affect us. The first influence is alcohol, which he said can lead to ruin. And the Greek word for ruin here literally means squandering of our lives. Or, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you can, you can be under the influence, he says, of alcohol, which can lead to the ruining of your lives, the squandering of your lives, or you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul is using strong language here. He says, be filled. It's an imperative, not an option. He did not say, consider being filled with the Spirit. Or you might try being filled with the Spirit. Or be filled with the Spirit if you think it's for you. Paul is not suggesting something here. He is telling us, this you must do. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not an option. It is a divine imperative for all who would seek to follow Jesus Christ. 
And God has affirmed his call throughout time for his people to be a holy people set apart for his holy use. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 11.45, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Fast forward through the centuries to God revealed in Jesus Christ. He, refer, he reaffirms the imperative in Matthew 5.48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then the Apostle Peter in the era of the early church echoes the same message in 1 Peter 1.15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So the message, be perfect, be holy in all you do. Do those verses seem a little intimidating to you? Maybe almost gives you a sense of futility. How in the world can I do this? And I, I, I don't want you to, I don't want to discourage you right now, but you can't do this. It will never happen no matter how hard you try. To be holy. It's impossible to be holy without the fullness of God's Holy Spirit living in us. It ain't going to happen. We can no more make ourselves holy than we can forgive our own sins. Perhaps this is the reason some folks get frustrated trying to live the Christian life. And that, by the way, is the crux of the problem They are trying on their own to live the Christian life. It will never happen that way. We need to try less and trust God more. Um, I'm going to speak about um, the fruit of the Spirit coming up pretty soon. I was thinking about the trying aspect. Trying to live a holy life. We, we just can't do it in our own resources. I, I had a friend who was, uh, oh, my wife's grimacing. I had a friend who was an evangelist for a number of years. He preached a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. And the fact that only the Holy Spirit can produce that fruit in us. And he said, This was kind of one of his concluding thoughts. And normally his wife wasn't in these services with him. But in this particular day, she happened to be there. And my friend Paul said, We try and try and try to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And all that ever comes out is a couple of raisins. (laughs) And his wife said after... The service, Paul, do you know what that sounds like? (laughs) We cannot be holy through our best efforts. We can try and try and try. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We need to try less and trust God more. It's not that we don't put effort into the process, but ultimately it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The reason we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit is because Paul knew that there is no other way 
for us to live up to that standard of holiness. That's the only way. And so the next truth is this. Spirit filling is a divine responsibility. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. God has obligated Himself to do this work in us by His Holy Spirit. And the work He does by the Spirit is comprehensive. The whole package, spirit, soul, body, all of me, all of you, from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet. And He will do this work in different ways in different people. Because He works with and in us as individuals. Some experience the fullness of the Spirit at the time of salvation. Others may receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit weeks, months, or even years after coming to Christ. I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't accept Jesus as my Savior till I was 16. Because I was a good kid. I was. I mean, I did my share of things, but if you're on the outside looking at Looking at me, you would say, that's a pretty, he's compliant? I was, I was compliant. My younger brother, however, <laughs> and so I came to Jesus as a 16 year old. I finally realized, you know what, I can't ride on my folks' coattails. But it wasn't till about three years later, as I think a sophomore in college at a revival service, that God impressed on me the need to be sanctified, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I went to an altar in a college evangelistic service. And I prayed that God would do that work in my life. And you know what? It wasn't a... It wasn't like that for me. It, it is that way for some people. For me, it was a more quiet thing. Some testify to a powerful, moving event in their lives, while for others, it is a deep, peaceful assurance. That's what it was for me. And it's okay. We're individuals. God works differently in each of our lives. The Holy Spirit will deal with us in an individual way. The important thing is that we don't miss the reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit because it didn't happen in a prescribed way. So, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the the Scripture speaks of two different works here. There are a couple of distinctions that we need to understand. First of all, we must be born of the Spirit. First of all, we must be born of the Spirit. In John chapter 3, we find the account of the religious leader Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Jesus is explaining to him about the kingdom of God, which raises some questions on the part of Nicodemus. Jesus said in verse 3 of John chapter 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that's when Nicodemus says, Woo, stop. 
Can I return to my mother's womb and be born again? And so Jesus is answering that question in verse 5. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. What is Jesus telling Nicodemus? We know that in other places the Bible tells us we must be filled with the Spirit. So what's the difference between being born of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Well, the moment we accept Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in our lives. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. That's being born of the Spirit. Okay, first step, step one. Salvation, we call that. Salvation. Then, we must be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, before we look at what it means, let's look at what it doesn't mean. Because I think there's some misunderstanding here. It doesn't mean that when we get saved, born of the Spirit, we get a portion of the Holy Spirit. Kind of a slice of the pie. And then we get the rest of Him when we are sanctified or filled with the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. You know, some folks pray, oh God, give me more of you. And God is saying, you have all of me, I want all of you. Being filled with the Spirit is the difference between Jesus as resident Savior, in other words, Jesus just living there, or Jesus as sovereign, master, Lord, President, Boss. The ultimate, questions be, the ultimate question becomes, who is in charge? And until we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the wrong person is in charge. I'm going to give you a little illustration that I've witnessed in my life. Sometimes when Julie and I are in a public place, maybe a store or a restaurant, we will see a parent with a bat, uh, in, in a battle of wills with their child. You've probably seen that too. Maybe you've experienced it. The child is determined to have their way. Don't touch that. And they touch it anyway. Come back here and they keep going. The child is determined to have their way and despite the pleading and bargaining done by the parent, the child refuses to comply, maybe throws a fit, ends up getting what they want. And I look at Julie and I say, the wrong person's in charge. So you've trusted Jesus to forgive your sins. That's a great first step. But it's quite another thing to step aside and let the Holy Spirit take control of you. See, when we place our faith in Jesus as Savior, we receive, we receive all of the Holy Spirit at that moment. The question is not, do we have all of Him? The question is, does He have all of me? Being filled with the Spirit does not mean I get all of Him. It means He gets all of me. Until And until he gets all of me, the wrong person is in charge. So 
So, again, you've trusted Jesus to forgive your sins. That's a great first step, but it's another thing to step aside and let the Holy Spirit take complete control of your life. What's he going to do with me? He could call you into the ministry. That's what happened to me. You've probably seen the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. As good as that sounds, the truth is, on an airplane, the pilot is the one who's in command. So for that slogan to represent the spirit-filled life, it should say, God is my pilot. When we give him everything... And that's when he truly has control of our lives. When we acknowledge his presence in our lives, that's one thing, but it's quite another. So we acknowledge his presence in our lives. It's quite another to submit every area of our lives to his will. Every area. You know, I used to tell our teens, um, living in the Spirit is like an umbrella. And everything needs to come under it. You don't leave anything outside. The umbrella of the Holy Spirit, everything needs to come under it. And up to this point, we've seen then that God's being filled with the Holy Spirit is God's imperative. He assumes responsibility to do this work in our lives. We've seen the difference between being born of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. So the question now becomes, how can we be filled with the Spirit? And I, uh, on your notes, you've got an acrostic, F-I-L-L, fill. This was not my idea. I wasn't hit with divine inspiration. This comes from the book I told you I was using as an outline by Mark Fuller, who's the pastor of the Grove City Church in the Nazarene in Ohio. This is his idea. So if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we must face the root of the problem. The first letter, F, face. Face the root of the problem. We have to begin by recognizing that we have a sin problem in our lives. And we all do or have. For the scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one, every single person on the planet that's true of. We will never experience the filling of the Holy Spirit until we acknowledge our sinfulness. And here's where we start. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's where it starts. But before God can purify us, we must confess our sins. Many, are, are, many in our world would have us believe that we are basically good. People are basically, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. People are basically good. We are not basically good. The, we are basically sinners. That's what the Bible tells us. And you either believe God on that one or you don't. But that's what God says. 
We are basically sinners. And we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's at the core of who we are. We're born with that. We need to admit that our sins are the result of a natural bent towards sin that ushers from deep within us. Left to ourselves, we will not do what God wants us to do. We're fallen from grace. This is the sinful nature we are born with. And when we act on that sinful nature, it is always disobedience to God. And when we, when we disobey God, we incur guilt. So we must confess our sin, admit that we have been disobedient to God, and that we are guilty. It's telling God that we cannot control the sin problem in our lives and admit to Him that only He can make things right in our hearts. The hallelujahs rang out through the... So to receive forgiveness, we must confess our sin. But we must also repent of our sin. I remember uh, when I was pastor in East Oregon, Eastern Oregon, I had a, 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 a pastor who had left the ministry in the Presbyterian Church. And he was a part of our congregation now. And I don't remember what I preached about, but he came up to me one time and he said, You know, I think in some ways we made salvation a little too easy. We just talk about the, re, the, the confession part, but we forget to talk about repentance. And you can confess and confess and confess and confess all you want. But until you repent and turn away, there's not going to be any change in your life. And that, that's what God expects. He doesn't expect you to confess and confess and confess and forgive and forgive and forgive and have you not change your ways. You know, um, in Luke 5.32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't say I've come to call sinners to confession. Oh, we need to do that, but he's called us to repentance. The Greek word for repentance has to do with a change of mind. Before we come to God in repentance, we have determined in our minds to walk our own way. We set our lives in a direction that leads us away from God. When we repent, we have a change of mind. We, we turn and walk in a new direction toward God. We choose to leave that behavior, that attitude, that language behind. We're going to walk in a new direction toward God. That's repentance. It's the direction of obedience to God. It's turning our backs on the sin that we have confessed and repented of. When we come to that place, God will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we want to be spirit-filled, we must invest our entire devotion to God. The second letter in the acrostic. Invest our entire devotion to God. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Have you ever thought about what it really means to be a sacrifice? A sacrifice is something that is completely given over 
Think about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. I've been reading about that lately because I'm reading about Moses and the people in the wilderness and the system of sacrifice that God required of the people of Israel and, you know, the priests and Levites and their involvement in that. And, whoo! Have ever... Those priests, they were glorified butchers. Ongoing sacrifice. Listen, when you brought in the calf or goat or lamb, you gave it to them and you took your hand. You were done. You had no more control over that. Once it's offered as a sacrifice, no more control. It's out of your hands. Completely. It becomes totally God's. When you offer it as a sacrifice, it becomes totally God's. That's what it means to be entirely devoted to God, which raises these questions. Is God number one in my life? Does He have complete control of my life? Can He do anything He wants to with me? The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And you know, What was Paul talking about? He saw himself, maybe kind of a mental picture, I've been crucified with Christ. He saw himself on a cross dying to his own will. I have been crucified with Christ. And listen, folks, dying to ourselves, to selfishness, is no easy proposition. But if we want to be entirely devoted to God, there is no room for self-will. We must allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of remaking us at the very core of who we are so that the selfishness that once motivated us is now replaced with a selflessness that freely submits to God at every point in our lives. Every point. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what the scripture says. We are no longer driven or motivated by the sin nature, but instead are motivated by a heart that is fully devoted to God and His will for our lives. The Holy Spirit now has control in every aspect of our lives. He has all of us. We've had all of Him already. Now He has all of us. And the determining factor in my life now is not what pleases me, but what pleases Jesus Christ, my Savior. But here's something we need to understand. Even though there's a moment in our lives where we decide to surrender completely to the Holy Spirit, to die to ourselves and give Him complete control of our lives, we need to remember that Jesus told us we have to take up our cross daily. What was the cross? This cross was significant of death, of dying. We must daily reaffirm the crucifixion of self, leave it on the cross so that it cannot rear its ugly head. We must render it powerless so that we can be raised to life in Christ and live in the fullness of His Holy Spirit. We will never experience the fullness of God's Spirit unless we invest our entire devotion to Him. And then if we want to be spirit-filled, we must look to Christ's cross. 
In the sermons I preached on the work of the Holy Spirit, we learned that Jesus died not only to provide for forgiveness of our sins, but also to break the power of sin over our lives, to sanctify us, and to make us holy as God requires us to be. Hebrews 13, verse 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through His blood. Everything you need from God to live a holy life was purchased for you by Jesus on the cross. Everything you need to live a holy life was purchased for you by Jesus on the cross. Salvation, sanctification, healing, transformation, everything. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And just like your salvation, the fullness of the Spirit, sanctification cannot be earned. Crossing all your spiritual I's and dotting all your spiritual T's will not do it. Working harder for Jesus won't do it. Spending more time on the spiritual disciplines won't do it. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but they won't do it. Like salvation, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes by faith, by trusting God to do that work in your life. We come to God with the desire to give Him complete control of our lives, and with the trust to believe that He will deal with our sin nature and cleanse us from all unrighteousness in body, mind, and spirit. Complete devotion. And then finally, if we want to be Spirit-filled, we must live in humble obedience to Him. Acts 5.22 We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Being filled with the Spirit requires a daily commitment to obedience. A daily commitment to follow the Spirit's leading in our lives. If we fail to do this, it has an impact on our relationship with God. And in fact, in Ephesians 4.30, it says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, there are any numbers of way, any number of ways that we can, and they're all called sin. <laughs> to do what we shouldn't do, or to not do what we should do, is sin. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Anything we do that the Holy Spirit hates causes Him grief. And by the way, we can grieve Him by neglecting His power and presence in our lives as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19 it says, Do not quench the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit by neglect of those spiritual practices which are essential to a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus. We can quench the Spirit by feeling 
by failing to heed his promptings. We can quench the spirit by putting confidence in our flesh, our own strength and abilities and resources, rather than on his power and resources for us. The Holy Spirit is quenched when we fail to walk our walk, when we're guilty of hypocrisy. The Holy Spirit cannot demonstrate his power and presence in a life that's cluttered with these kinds of things. You encouraged yet? So let's review. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we must face the root of the problem. We must invest our entire devotion to God. We must look to Christ's cross. We must live in humble obedience to Him. The Holy Spirit will only cleanse the sin we confess. The Holy Spirit will fill only the life we consecrate. He will do His part. We must die to ourselves. And when we offer our lives to Him, He will do His part. He will cleanse our hearts. He will sanctify us and fill us with His Spirit. Boy, it's quiet in here. You want that? Do you need that? I do. Hmm. Thank God. I think we need to be quiet in our own minds and heart for just a moment and allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to us. We sang something earlier. I remember um, I think it was about being refreshed by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we need that. It's like we walk through a dirty world and once in a while we need... But some of us need to go to that... You know, we know Jesus is our Savior. But maybe we're struggling with this thing of complete surrender, allowing God to go to the very core of who we are and deal with that thing that drives us to sin because we've not completely surrendered our lives. We've got all the Holy Spirit, but He doesn't have all of us. And so let's quiet our hearts for a few moments this morning. You know, I think of um, Holy Spirit, my heart yearns for Thee. Holy Spirit, abide in me. Make me clean. Oh, make me cure. Let me know the double cure. That's what refers to the double cure as being born of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. That's the two things that we're talking about when we talk about the double cure. And maybe we've experienced born of the Spirit, but we've never surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ in such a way that His Spirit can fulfill all of who we are. And maybe today we've taken that step, but we need a fresh touch. The gas tank's getting kind of low, it seems. And if 
You know, the altar's open if you want to come this morning and just kneel here. It's between you and God because he's the one that does this work in our lives. It's provided for us by the cross of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. We need you to fill us up. We need you to fill us in every area of our lives. Body, mind, spirit. We need to keep nothing back but to surrender to you completely. We need you to deal with that sin nature in our lives that is the thing that keeps us from walking before you like we should and keeps us in control instead of you in control. And we don't want to be there anymore. We want to be filled with your spirit, every aspect of our lives, give you complete control. We want to walk in the fullness of the spirit. Holy Spirit, rain down today, we pray. Oh, counselor and friend, how we need your touch again. Father, we, we need, I need, I hope, we desire to see what a church can do when everyone who's a member of that body is completely surrendered to the power and the will of your Holy Spirit. And if there's a work that you want to do in us today, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will surrender to that. Come, Holy Spirit. Cleanse our hearts. Cleanse that nature that's set against you. Help us to surrender every aspect of our lives to you. Nothing is left out from under the umbrella of your Holy Spirit's work in us. It all comes in. It's all given over to you. And maybe it's just a refreshing touch we need today. And, oh God, we believe you're glad to do that because we see it in the Holy Spirit. I I think about what I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the when Peter was preaching in the in the temple and, and he was told not to, and he and John went to the, to the believers, and they prayed, and there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were refreshed, renewed, and they were given boldness and courage to keep speaking the name of Jesus. Maybe that's the touch we need today, Father. Take thou my heart, cleanse every part. Do the work in us today, Father, that only your Holy Spirit can do. And then I pray that we will see what you can do in a church where everyone is surrendered 
filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for that precious gift. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus who died on the cross so that this would be a possibility for every one of us who comes in trust believing that you will do this in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.